it is good to be back with you again on Narrative. We have not done a live show in months because, as you'll recall, Elon Musk took us off the air, gave took away our live privileges. He gently gave them back to us a few weeks ago. We're now testing out to see if it actually worked out. And it seems that we are live on Twitter. We weren't planning to have a show, but I woke up this morning and bemoaned to all of you that we were having democracy's last stand, that it was an absolute defiance of any normalcy that we still have Donald Trump as a kicking, living, breathing political animal in the American political system. And yet here he is alive and running in the lead of the GOP presidential campaigns. He's likely the front runner in, the, in that race. And so it seems to me insane that this has happened, considering everything that we at Narrative have told you about Donald Trump since 2016. We've revealed his ties to the mob, to foreign intelligence, his ties to money laundering, to his ties to criminal activities through terrorist organizations, his ties through arms dealing, potentially his connections to Jeffrey Epstein, you, you name it. We've told you about it here on, on Narrative in the last six years. And yet here he is still there running as the front runner in the GOP Republican primaries. Only things turned around this evening, didn't they? When Jack Smith, after quite a long period of time, the, finally the special counsel representing the United States government, indicted Donald Trump. And there's no other way to look at this indictment as, a, as potentially the most serious indictment ever handed down to anybody in American history. There has not been a crime this big or this onerous in, since the Republic began. I just can't imagine of anything that has been, that is this dramatic and this important to the very fabric of American society, the bedrock of what American society is all about is freedom to vote, is the equality principle. And here you have someone turning into a joke, the Constitution, by running fake slates of electors, by trying to overturn the processes which this government is ultimately elected by. And today, we found out that that really is indeed a crime. We found out from Jack Smith himself. Here's what he had to say in a very short two-minute statement, but boy, this must have been struck some fear into the hearts of not only Donald Trump, but all the co-conspirators. And there are six of them that have been named. Good evening. Today, an indictment was unsealed, charging Donald J. Trump with conspiring to defraud the United States, conspiring to disenfranchise voters, and conspiring and attempting to obstruct an official proceeding. The indictment was issued by a grand jury of citizens here in the District of Columbia, and it sets forth the crimes charged in detail. I encourage everyone to read it in full. The attack on our nation's capital on January 6, 2021, was an unprecedented assault obstructing a bedrock function of the U.S. government, the nation's process of collecting, counting, and certifying the results of the presidential election. The men and women of law enforcement who defended the U.S. Capitol on January 6th are heroes. They are patriots and they are the very best of us. They did not just defend a building or the people sheltering in it. They put their lives in the line to defend who we are as a country and as a people. They defended the very institutions and principles that define the United States. Since the attack on our Capitol, the Department of Justice has remained committed to ensuring accountability 
for those criminally responsible for what happened that day. This case is brought consistent with that commitment, and our investigation of other individuals continues. In this case, my office will seek a speedy trial that our evidence can be tested in court and judged by a jury of citizens. In the meantime, I must emphasize that the indictment is only an allegation and that the defendant must be presumed innocent until proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt in a court of law. I would like to thank the members of the Federal Bureau of Investigation who are working on this investigation with my office, as well as the many career prosecutors and law enforcement agents from around the country who have worked on previous January 6th investigations. These women and men are public servants of the very highest order, and it is a privilege to work alongside them. Thank you. Now, that is a very unusual scene, of course. You don't get a special counsel getting an opportunity to indict a president of the United States ever. We're seeing something that is purely historic, something that is going to still challenge the very fabric of our democracy until we have that next election in next November, because this whole trial, the speedy trial that he anticipates he's going to have, will be rolling out during the election process itself. So you can expect that there'll be the court of public opinion that will be trying to rule one way and all the propaganda and all the disinformation and all the foreign influence that we've been discussing on narratives since day one will be at play there. And then there'll be the court process, the official process. Now, it could be that we land up with one verdict in the official process and that Donald Trump is found guilty of these crimes, these four charges that were listed in this indictment today. However, it could mean that the court of public opinion thinks otherwise and still elects him the president of the United States, at which point he could pardon himself. He could do all sorts of things. He could fire the entire Department of Justice. He could do whatever he wanted, really. And he plans to do a lot of changes in whatever comes next. And even if it's not him who lands up being the president of the United States, if any GOP leader or a candidate wins, then guess what? They'll do the same thing because the GOP is now being owned, lock, stock and barrel by foreign governments, by institutions and wealthy individuals that don't represent the will of the people at all in the United States, that really represent the will of the rich and the foreigners and the intelligence agencies and the military systems, complex, if you will, that are aiming for a world war no matter what. These are the kinds of people who are running the GOP today. These are not representatives of the American people. And yet, because of the propaganda, because of Twitter, because of Fox News, all of these organizations have been able to imprint on the American people that they are, in fact, supporters of Donald J. Trump, when they, in fact, don't know half the story about Donald J. Trump, which is, in fact, quite a fascinating story. So what Jack Smith is going to try to do in court is reveal who Donald Trump really is to the American people. And hopefully they'll listen. We, for many months, right at the start of January the 6th, right after it happened, narrative was quite perplexed. We all were on the narrative regularly bemoaning the fact that nothing was being done about the key plotters in the January the 6th uh, event, in the coup attempt. Roger Stone um, amongst them, Steve Bannon, those kinds of people, Alex Jones, we were bemoaning. Why, wasn't this, why weren't these people being arrested? Why was nothing happening to them? Because we had ample proof ourselves that, in fact, they were involved in the day's events. And in fact, it's interesting today that Jack Smith has not gone there. He's not gone to Roger Stone. He's not gone to Steve Bannon. 
and he's not gone to Alex Jones. He's not gone even to the Proud Boys and to the Oath Keepers. That will be the seditious conspiracy charges that we had anticipated he would be filing, although we said quite clearly that they might not be the charges he files. So he chose not to do the seditious conspiracy uh, spokes of this wheel, if you will. But the rest of it is really in this. The rest of the the, uh, spoken wheel uh, conspiracy that we had been theorizing on narrative for over two years now was at the cause of all of this um, crime spree that was going on, an absolute crime that was the takeover of the American government, the takeover of the will of the American government by these gang of thugs who had concocted a various conspiracies which rolled up into one would look like the one that was charged today. Now, we're not seeing multiple conspirators being charged today. We're only seeing Donald Trump. And that's because you heard him say there at the end, speedy trial. Speedy trial is what they want. And anything more than one conspirator or one defendant here would have meant a much longer trial. But you can see that in this spoken wheel thing that we have up here, there is the Pence card conspiracy that definitely comes up in today's indictment. There's the grift conspiracy, perhaps not a very prominent one. So we might want to take that one out. But this is the amount of money that Roger Stone and Michael Flynn made off January the 6th. There's the big lie conspiracy. And this really forms the biggest framework of the indictment, which we will try to go through in some detail tonight. And then there's also the DOJ conspiracy. And of course, there's a a huge attempt there by the former president to appoint a new attorney general in order to allow all these illegal activities to take place. And then there's the false slate of electors conspiracy, which definitely plays a big role in today's indictment by Jack Smith. I'd wanted to point those out to you because I think it's important that everyone realize that this has been known, really, at least by us laymen, all the way since January the 6th itself. So this has been percolating now since 2021. It's taken some years for this to arrive in court, but it has finally arrived in court. And that longstanding principle of a former president not being able to be indicted by the DOJ, that's no longer, oh, sorry, a sitting president, uh, and even a former president, it's never really happened. Being indicted by the DOJ, does, uh, it's finally happening. It's happening before our eyes, not once, not twice, at three times now, potentially a fourth still coming out of Georgia. So I ran this particular poster for one of our shows leading up to the end of the Trump era. And I called it a seditious conspiracy there because what Donald Trump was trying to do, he's got three doors, three options. He could have taken the easy road out and taken the green door exit and walked out of power and everything would have been just fine. There's the, I'm going to challenge everything door, which he did do, but he went quite a lot further. He went in fact for door number one, which is the nuclear explosion going nuclear. He was going to try to throw it all into the at risk and destroy the American system in order to maintain power, no matter what. He was going to enjoy the the insurrection that would happen, and he would use the military force to then suppress that insurrection. That was clearly the goal of their plot. There's no doubt in my mind, looking back at all the video and all the elements we have, that the Trump administration and the Trump machine, backed by the powers we were talking about, those foreign powers, those rich individuals, those billionaire classes, the corporations, and the um, right-wing white nationalists, that all of them were in fact quite happy to see this event take place in the way that he was letting it happen. And he was backed by them. They were aware of what he was going to do. And he was going ahead with what seemed to be a nuclear option to blow up the American constitution in order to maintain power for himself. 
it seems ludicrous today as we study these things that this was our reality a short while ago. But let me remind you that we are not out of that reality, that we are in fact still very much living in this same paradigm. This man is still the front runner in the GOP field. He could very well be the next president of the United States, which means we've not left all that behind. It feels like years ago, doesn't it? It was years ago, as it turns out, but it's still here. Because next November, when Donald Trump, if Donald Trump is the candidate and, and the nominee for the Republican Party, and if he becomes the next president of the United States, the first thing he's going to do, and the Federalist uh, Society has said this is the first thing they are going to do for any new GOP president, is rewind the clock back to where they were on that January the 6th, and then start changing the Constitution, giving the president of the United States far more power than he's ever had in order to continue to do the dismantling of American democracy that they had wanted to do all the way back in 2016 when he was first, when he was first elected. I'm going to play you a promo we did a while ago. It was January, must have been late January in 2021, when we compiled all these different elements that we saw as being part of this conspiracy. And we were asking the question back then, why is nothing happening? We'd argued that he should have been impeached. And indeed, the impeachment process went through, although he was impeached, he did not, he was not found guilty by the Senate. This was the tape that we used to help people or try to help convince people that in fact, this was a conspiracy, a conspiracy that Jack Smith outlined today. I don't want to overplay the, the facts here, but if someone will study the president's uh, authority in the Insurrection Act and in the, his ability to imply, impose the martial law. President Trump won this election, so everyone who's listening, do not be quiet. Do not be, do not be silent about this. We cannot allow this to happen before our very eyes. Philadelphia elections are crooked as a snake. That every time they close the doors and, and shut out the lights, they always find more Democratic votes. Trump announced Wednesday he's also pardoning his former national security advisor, Michael Flynn. People out there talking about martial law, it's like it's something that we've never done. We've done, martial law has been instituted 64 64 times. And we're working co uh, closely with Congressman Mo Brooks, closely with Congressman Andy Biggs, Congressman, obviously, Paul Gosar, my great friend. We have to go all the way, and that's what's happening. And you watch what happens over the next couple of weeks. You watch what's going to come out. Watch what's going to be revealed. In the next couple of days, I think we're going to see some extraordinary historical moments. The, uh, the truth is going to come out. Donald Trump will continue to be the president of the United States. As I told them 20 years ago, I tell them again, I don't know how this is going to end, but if they want to fight, they better believe they've got one. Appreciate you. Appreciate you, man. Thank you very much. So hopefully we have this today, right? We shall see. We shall see. Who's 
that interesting to see all those figures uh, that took part so happily on that day, on January the 6th, to overthrow the government of the United States, the duly elected government of the United States. Their attempt was, of course, unsuccessful, but we see their faces now. They're on video, and those people are the same people that tonight, like uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, are saying that the president of the United States back then did nothing wrong in his choosing these fake slate of electors in trying to plot the overthrow of a duly elected government. That is not how Jack Smith sees it. That is not how the majority of Americans see it. And it will be interesting to see how the judge sees it in this particular case. I, I should also note that in this chart that we did way back in January or towards the end of our investigation into January the 6th, there's a, a quite a collection of faces here that are worthy of noting because they're all must be a little bit concerned tonight. There are um, various senators, various Congress people, people involved in the Pentagon, people involved in the foreign operations part of this, Russian operatives, Chinese operatives, you name it, Israeli operatives. The vice president's office, obviously there were many people involved there. Ginny Thomas, remember the connection between her and this very brutal attack on our American system, the wife of a sitting Supreme Court justice. And then these various others, militias and the Moonies, whatever happened to the Moonies in this story, and various others. So. Just a reminder that this is a large-scale conspiracy. This involved a lot of people. It involved not only a lot of people, a lot of coordination, a lot of evidence is out there to prove that this was, in fact, a conspiracy. And so that leads us to tonight's indictment. I don't want to read the whole thing, but I do want to read the whole thing with you tonight. I'm not sure we have enough time, but I'm going to read whatever I can in the next 20 minutes or so, and then we'll stop. But I think it's important that everyone starts to understand exactly how serious this particular indictment is. This is nothing like we've ever seen in American history, because frankly, it's never been done before that an American president has been indicted and, and to, to, it's been done in a remarkable way. As you'll tell from my reading this tonight, that Jack Smith is doing what is known as a speaking indictment, which is a, just a, the way it happened kind of indictment in the United States District Court of, for the District of Columbia, United States of America versus Donald J. Trump, just one defendant, even though there are many co-conspirators in this case. There's a criminal number, grand jury original. This means the grand jury is the people who are actually indicting President Donald Trump. But there is not Jack Smith per se, although it is his prosecution. There are four counts here. Count one, 18 U.S.C., count 371, a conspiracy to defraud the United States. Count two, a conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding. That's 18 U.S.C. 1512K. There's count three which is 18 U.S.C. 1512C2 and 2. I'm not sure what that is. There's obstruction and of and attempting to obstruct an official proceeding. And then there's the conspiracy against the rights, which is, I believe is against the voting rights of Americans who were defrauded in various states of their ability or, or to have their votes counted or an attempt to defraud them. But you're seeing that he's staying away from sedition conspiracy, seditious conspiracy because really his words... That day, some people say, could be interpreted as him just exercising his free speech. But what's not free speech is lying in order to achieve your conspiracy's goals. In other words, you can lie in public. You can lie in public to your followers and say anything you want to that is untrue. But to then take that lie and use it internally in order to commit a crime, that's not acceptable, according to Jack Smith and the grand jury here. Introduction. The defendant, Donald J. J. Trump, was the 45th president of the United States and a candidate for re-election in 2020. The defendant lost his 2020 presidential election. Despite having lost, 
the defendant was determined to remain in power. So for more than two months following election day on November 3rd, 2020, the defendant spread lies that there had been outcome determinative fraud in the election and that he had actually won. These claims were false and the defendant knew that they were false. But the defendant repeatedly and widely disseminated them anyway. To make his knowingly false claims appear legitimate, create an intense national atmosphere of mistrust and anger, and erode public faith in the administration and the election. The defendant had a right, like every American, to speak publicly about the election and even to claim falsely that there had been outcome determinative fraud during the election and that he had won. He was also entitled to formally challenge the results of the election through lawful and appropriate means, such as by seeking recounts or audits of the popular vote in states or filing lawsuits challenging ballots and procedures. Indeed, in many cases, the defendant did pursue these methods of contesting the election results. His efforts to change the outcome in any state through recounts, audits, or legal challenges were uniformly unsuccessful. Four. Shortly after election day, the defendant also pursued unlawful means of discounting legitimate votes and subverting the election results. In so doing, the defendant perpetrated three criminal conspiracies. A. A conspiracy to defraud the United States by using dishonesty, fraud, and deceit to impair, obstruct, and defeat the lawful federal government function by which the results of the presidential election are collected, counted, and certified by the federal government in violation of 18 U.S.C. 371. A conspiracy to corruptly obstruct and impede the January 6 congressional proceedings at which the collected results of the presidential elections are counted and certified the certification proceeding, in violation of 18 U.S.C. count 1512K, and the third conspiracy, a conspiracy against the rights to vote and to have one's vote counted in violation of 18 U.S.C. 241. Each of these conspiracies, which built on the widespread mistrust the defendant was creating through pervasive and destabilizing lies about election fraud, targeted a bedrock function of the United States federal government the nation's process of collecting, counting, and certifying the results of the presidential election, the federal government function. It's interrupting elections is basically what Jack Smith is pointing out here. Count number one, this is a conspiracy to defraud the United States. The allegation contains in paragraphs one through four of the indictment are re-alleged and fully incorporated here by reference. The conspiracy from on or about November 14, 2020 through on or about January the 20th, 2021, in the District of Columbia and elsewhere, the defendant, Donald J. Trump, did knowingly combine, conspire, confederate, and agree with co-conspirators, known and unknown to the grand jury, to defraud the United States by using dishonesty, fraud, and deceit to impair, obstruct, and defeat the lawful federal government function by which the results of the presidential election are collected, counted, and certified by the federal government. The purpose of the conspiracy, seven, the purpose of the conspiracy was to overturn the legitimate results of the 2020 presidential election by using knowingly false claims of election fraud to obstruct the federal government function by which those results are collected, counted, and certified. The defendant's co-conspirators, eight, the defendant enlisted co-conspirators to assist in his criminal efforts to overturn the legitimate results of the 2020 presidential elections and retain power. Among these were co-conspirator number one, an attorney who was willing to spread knowingly false claims and pursue strategies that 
the defendant's 2020 re-election campaign, attorneys would not. B, co-conspirator two, an attorney who devised and attempted to implement a strategy to leverage the vice president's ceremonial role overseeing the certification proceedings to obstruct the certification of the presidential election. C, co-conspirator number three, an attorney whose unfounded claims of, re- of election fraud, the defendant privately acknowledged to others sounding crazy, or to acknowledge to others sounding crazy, nonetheless, the defendant embraced and publicly amplified co-conspirator 3's disinformation. Co-conspirator 4, a Justice Department official who worked on civil matters and who, with the defendant, attempted to use the Justice Department to open sham election crime investigations and influence state legislatures with knowingly false claims of election fraud, E, co-conspirator number five, an attorney who assisted in devising and attempting to implement a plan to submit fraudulent slates of presidential electors to obstruct the certification proceedings. And F, co-conspirator six, political consultant who helped implement a plan to submit fraudulent slates of presidential electors to obstruct the certification proceedings. Who are those people? We know the names of at least five of the six, which is not bad. We'll find out the six as time goes on. But if I find it here, if we just, and then just give me a second to pull it up, there are names, well-known names attached to each of these defendants. So the way I'm going to do this, is just pop it up here. I'll read the, the descriptions as they are contained in the indictments, and you can see how they match the names on the screen now. So again, to repeat myself, I apologize for this. I should have done this earlier, but co-conspirator one, we believe, is Rudy Giuliani, an attorney who was willing to spread knowingly false claims and pursue strategies that the defendant's 2020 re-election campaign, attorneys would not. That is who number one is. Co-conspirator number two, an attorney who devised and attempted to implement a strategy to leverage the vice president's ceremonial role overseeing the certification proceedings to obstruct the certification of the presidential elections. And that is John Eastman. John Eastman, who we saw recently in a California court, arguing that he was just making up theories for the president to consider. He wasn't actually trying to plan the overthrow of the government. Number three there is Sidney Powell. She's described here as an attorney whose unfounded claims of election fraud the defendant privately acknowledged to others sounded crazy. Nonetheless, the defendant embraced and publicly amplified co-conspirators threes. And number four, Jeffrey Clark, co-conspirator number four, a Justice Department official who worked in civil matters and who, with the defendant, attempted to use the Justice Department to open sham election crime investigations and influence state legislatures with knowingly false claims of election fraud. And number five there, Kenneth Chesborough, an attorney who assisted in devising and attempting to implement a plan to submit fraudulent slates of presidential electors to obstruct the certification proceedings. I did not know who number six is. There are names floating around, but I'm not sure who they are. So I'm going to pretend that a, I don't know then because I don't know. And so that's, those are the, the five or at least six names that we, six people that are co-conspirators. So these are people who still could be charged. If you're John Eastman tonight, you're thinking, Jack Smith's coming after me at some point. If you're Rudy Giuliani, Sidney Powell, this is not a good night. If the president of the United States is being charged with this crime, you better believe they're coming after you, either for some sort of deal, maybe a plea deal, or they're going to come after you because you are part of this great conspiracy, this worst crime ever committed in the United States, the first political crime in the United States. Let's turn back to the indictment. We'll read a little bit more and then we will sign off before 11 tonight, just so tonight's was just a test show, but I just couldn't resist doing it on this. But let's take a look here at the federal government function. So the federal government function 
by which the results of the election for president of the United States are collected, counted, and certified, and was established through the Constitution and the Electoral Count Act, the ECA, a federal law enacted in 1887. The Constitution provided that individuals called electors select the president and that each state determined for itself how to appoint the electors apportioned to it. Through state laws, each of the 50 states and the District of Columbia chose to select their electors based on the popular vote in the state. After Election Day, the ECA required each state to formally determine or ascertain the electors who would represent the state's voters by, co- by casting electoral votes on behalf of the candidates who had won the popular vote and required the executive of each state to certify to the federal government the identities of those electors. Then, on a date set by the ECA, each state's ascertained electors were required to meet and collect the results of the presidential election. That is, to cast electoral votes based on their state's popular vote and to send their electoral votes, along with the state's executive's certification, that they were the state's legitimate electors in the United States Congress to be counted and certified in an official proceeding. Finally, the Constitution and ECA required that on the 6th of January following Election Day, the Congress meet in a joint session for certification proceedings, presided over by the Vice President or the President of the Senate to count the electoral votes, resolve any objections, and announce the result, thus certifying the winner of the presidential election as President-elect. The federal government function from the point of ascertainment to the certification is foundational to the United States democratic process and until 2021 had operated a peaceful and orderly manner for more than 130 years. The defendant's conspiracy to impair, obstruct, and defeat the federal government function through dishonesty, fraud, and deceit included the following manner and means. The defendant and co-conspirators used knowingly false claims of election fraud to get their state legislators and election officials to subvert the legitimate results and change electoral votes for the defendant's opponent, Joseph R. Biden Jr., to electoral votes for the defendant. That is, on the pretext of a baseless fraud claims, the defendant pushed officials in certain states to ignore the popular vote, disenfranchise millions of voters, dismiss legitimate electors, and ultimately cause the the ascertainment of and voting by legitimate electors in favor of the defendant. That is quite a statement there when you think about how dramatic that is for any U.S. president to defraud the voters of any state um, by trying to flip the votes illegally to himself. It just can't be overstated how significant this is an event of, of tremendous importance that Americans realize how deep and consequential this was to their own votes, because ultimately you have to think, what happens if this was me? What happens if this was my vote that was disenfranchised? And of course, it could very easily have been your vote that was disenfranchised. So let's continue here as we read Jack Smith's indictment. We'll just continue for a few more minutes, but it is interesting to note that in B here, the defendant and co-conspirators organized fraudulent slates of electors in seven targeted states. So these are the real victims of this crime when you think about it or what they attempted crime. These were the ones who were, who were going to lose their votes. Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, New Mexico, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin attempting to m- mimic the procedures that the legitimate electors were supposed to follow under the Constitution and other federal and state laws. This included causing the fraudulent electors to meet on the day appointed by federal law in which legitimate electors were to gather and cast their votes. They cast fraudulent votes for the defendant and signed certificates falsely representing that they were legitimate electors. Some fraudulent electors were tricked into participating based on uh, the understanding that their votes 
would be used only if the defendant succeeded in outcome-determinative lawsuits within their state, which the defendant never did. Trump never actually won any lawsuits, right? He never achieved any of those lawsuits, and yet here he was um, signing up these fake slate of electors. The defendant and co-conspirators then caused the fraudulent electors to transmit their false certificates to the vice president and other government officials to be counted at the certification process on January the 6th. And C, the defendant and co-conspirators attempted to use the power and authority of the Justice Department to conduct sham election crime investigations and to send a letter to the targeted states that falsely claimed that the Justice Department had identified significant concerns that many that may have impacted the election outcome that sought to advance the defendant's fraudulent elected plan by using the Justice Department's authority to falsely present the fraudulent electors as a valid alternative to the legitimate electors, and that urged on behalf of the Justice Department the targeted state's legislatures to convene to create the opportunity to choose the fraudulent electors over the legitimate electors. Number D here, the defendant and co-conspirators attempted to enlist the vice president to use his ceremonial role in the January 6th certification proceedings to fraudulently alter the election results. This is so good. This is the Prince card conspiracy we've been talking about for so long. First, using knowingly false claims of election fraud, the defendant and co-conspirators attempted to convince the vice president to use the defendant's fraudulent electors, reject legitimate electoral votes, or send legitimate electoral votes to state legislatures for review rather than counting them. When that failed, on the morning of January the 6th, the defendant and co-conspirators repeated knowingly false claims of election fraud to gathered supporters, falsely told them that Vice President had the authority to and might alter the election results, and directed them to the Capitol to obstruct the certification proceedings and exert pressure on the Vice President to take the fraudulent actions he had previously refused. After it became public on the afternoon of January 6th, the vice president would not fraudulently alter the election results. A large and angry crowd, including many individuals whom the defendant had deceived into believing vice president could and might change the election results, violently attacked the Capitol and halted the proceedings. As violence ensued, the defendant and co-conspirators exploited the disruption by redoubling efforts to levy false claims of election fraud and convince members of a Congress to further delay the certification based on those claims. Wow, what a plot. What an incredible plot these guys had churned out. A remarkable plot that involved the vice president of the United States, involved state legislatures, involved various attempts to defraud the American people and these false slate of electors in various states. What a tremendous plot, all based on lies, deception, the appearance of crimes that never happened, and all concocted by a Federalist Society lawyer and the other lawyers of the President of the United States. Pretty remarkable. This is super important. And this I'm going to spend a little bit of time, and maybe this will be the last thing we get to today. There really is nothing more significant than this, because this really takes the difference between a bunch of people who might have been operating behind the scenes, trying to damage the President of the United States in whatever way they could. And it changes into something that is very much, as we described earlier on, the action of a ringleader in a conspiracy. Because no longer is the president of the United States just assumed, in the, at least in the, this version by Jack Smith, assumed to be just a bystander of these events. People had told him there were fraudulent claims and he believed them, of course. Why wouldn't he believe that there's some fraud if his lawyers or other officials came to him and said there was fraud? But what this particular point does on page six, and it goes on from point 11 here, and I'll read it to you, is identify that the actual ringleader is 
Trump because he knew all along that his claims of fraud were not true. The defendant, his co-conspirators and their agents made knowingly false claims that there had been outcome determinative fraud in the 2020 election presidential elections. These prolific lies about election fraud included dozens of specific claims that there had been substantial fraud in certain states, such as that large number of dead, non-resident, non-citizen, or otherwise ineligible voters had cast ballots, or that voting machines had changed votes for the defendant to votes for Biden. These claims were false, and the defendant knew that they were false. In fact, the defendant was notified repeatedly that his claims were untrue, often by the people whom he relied on for candid advice on important matters and who were best positioned to know the facts. And he deliberately disregarded the truth. For instance, the defendant's vice president, who personally stood to gain by remaining in office as part of the defendant's ticket and whom the defendant asked to study fraud allegations, told the defendant that he had seen no evidence of outcome determinative fraud. The senior leaders of the Justice Department, appointed by the defendant and responsible for investigating credible allegations of election crimes, told the defendant on multiple occasions that various allegations of fraud were unsupported. C. The Director of National Intelligence, the defendant's principal advisor on intelligence matters related to national security, disabused the defendant of the notion that the intelligence community's findings regarding foreign interference would change the outcome of the election. D. The Department of Homeland Security's Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, the CISA, whose existence the defendant signed into law to protect the nation's cybersecurity infrastructure from attack, joined an official multi-agency statement that there was no evidence any voting system had been compromised and that declared the 2020 election the most secure in American history. Days later, after the CISA director, whom the defendant had appointed, announced publicly that the election security experts were in agreement that the claims of computer-based election fraud were unsubstantiated, the defendant fired him. That's Mr. Krebs, if you remember correctly. Senior White House attorney selected by the defendant to provide him candid advice informed the defendant that there was no evidence of outcome determinative election fraud and told him that his presidency would end on Inauguration Day 2021. 2021, I should say. F, senior staff as the defendant's 2020 re-election campaign. Defendant's campaign or campaign whose sole mission was the defendant's re-election told the defendants on November 7th, 2020 that they had only a 5 to 10% chance of prevailing in the election and that success was contingent on the defendant winning ongoing vote counts or litigation in the Arizona, Georgia, and Washington cases. Within a week of that assessment, the defendant lost in Arizona, meaning he had lost the election. G, state legislators and officials, many of whom where the defendant's political allies had voted for him and wanted him to be re-elected repeatedly informed the defendant that his claims of fraud in their states were unsubstantiated or false and resisted the pressure to act based on them. State and federal courts, the neutral arbiters of responsible for ensuring the fair and even-handed administration of election laws, rejected every outcome determinative post-election lawsuit filed by the, by the defendant, his co-conspirators and allies, providing the defendant real-time notice that his allegations were meritless. Boy, that's a lot of people telling you something that you know is certainly untrue. If you've got so many people telling you these things are untrue and you just go ahead, continue to make these false lies. Well, 
guess what? That's why you land up in court under Jack Smith's uh, indictment here. The defendant widely disseminated his false claims of election fraud for months, despite the fact that he knew, in many cases, had been informed directly that they were not true. The defendant's knowingly false statements were integral to his criminal plans to defeat the federal government's functions, obstruct the certification, and interfere with others' rights to vote and have their votes counted. He made these knowingly false claims throughout the post-election time period, including those below that he made immediately before the attack on Capitol on January the 6th. The defendant's insinuation that more than 10,000 dead voters had voted in Georgia just four days earlier, Georgia's Secretary of State had explained to the defendant that this was false. The defendant asserted that there had been 205,000 more votes than voters in Pennsylvania. The defendant's acting attorney general and acting deputy attorney general had explained to him that this was false. The defendant said that there had been a suspicious vote dump in Detroit, Michigan. The defendant's attorney general had explained to the defendant that this was false. And the defendant's allies in the Michigan state legislature, the speakers of the House of Representatives and majority leader of the Senate had publicly announced that there was no evidence to substantial fraud in the state. The defendant claimed that there had been tens of thousands of double votes and other frauds in Nevada. The Nevada Secretary of State had previously rebutted the defendant's fraud claims by publicly posting a facts versus myths document explaining that Nevada judges had reviewed and rejected them and the Nevada Supreme Court had rendered a decision denying such claims. The defendant said that more than 30,000 non-citizens had voted in Arizona. The defendant's own campaign manager had explained to him that such claims were false and the Speaker of the Arizona House of Representatives, who had supported the defendant in the election, had issued a public statement that there was no evidence of substantial fraud in Arizona. And F, the defendant asserted that voting machines in various contested states had switched votes from defendant to Biden. The defendant's attorney general, acting attorney general and acting deputy attorney general, all had explained to him that this was false and numerous recounts and audits had confirmed the accuracy of voting machines. I'm going to end there because there is much more to this, but I'm sure you will want to read all of this by yourself. But I also think that we might do a follow-up show where we continue to read it perhaps in a more organized way um, than we are doing tonight. But um, you can see where this is all going. We are seeing now a culmination of several years of investigation by Jack Smith, by the DOJ, by the FBI, by independent media like myself, where it's become clear to everyone who's investigated, this was an attempt to overthrow the government of the United States and was organized by the outgoing president. To the very person whose job it is, is to rule under the rule of law and to hand over peacefully the reins of government, failed to do so. In fact, he was trying to obstruct it all the way. And then at the very end was attempting to use violence, deceit, lies, anything he could in order to create a situation where martial law could be implemented and that they could overtake the will of the people and establish a real dictatorship in the United States of America. And I, I don't think any of that is hyperbole at this point. We really do know that he attempted to establish uh, a different rule of law here, a rule of law where he was the king. He was in charge of the United States and would stay in charge of the United States for as long as he deemed necessary. This is the kind of person that is now leading the GOP candidacy, the primary race for the nominee of the Republican Party by a long shot. And to make it even more scary, even if Donald Trump doesn't ultimately run in the primaries and chooses to contest these elections, these court cases, and maybe even make 
some sort of deal not to have to deal with these, elect- uh, these, these cases if he doesn't run. It's clear to me that DeSantis and others in the race are already there for the very purpose that Trump was there originally, to create a dictatorship out of the United States of America. And that means that even if Trump isn't the candidate that was in the nominee who prevails in the primaries, whoever is the nominee, and you can bet your bottom dollar that Ron DeSantis is pretty happy tonight because he thinks this is going to help him become the president of the United States. Ron DeSantis just as complicit, just as integrated into the same corrupt systems of foreign intelligence, the mob, and everybody else that's kept Donald Trump in power and got Donald Trump in power. That's how we got Ron DeSantis, the very, very same people. My commitment to your narrative this year, and this is the first attempt, we just did a test show because we've been taken off the air first by uh, Elon Musk. Now we're back on the air. We just wanted to see what it would feel like to get back on the air. No explanation as to why Elon Musk has decided to do that. But the fact that he has, pleasing enough, and we're here, we are not supporters of Elon Musk in any way on this show. We're not supporters of Donald Trump on this show. Not because we don't like them as individuals, although we're beginning to really dislike them, but also because these guys have, uh, are operating for foreign intelligence in a lot of ways, are operating for factions outside of the United States, people who don't have the votes, people who are fearful of the United States rule of law, people who want to see the American system of democracy diminished in favor of the rising authoritarianism that China is proposing around the world. This is something that we cannot support as an organization, as a news organization, and myself as an individual. But we, we do support their right to continue to operate in a democracy in whatever way they can, as long as our democracy prevails in catching them if they're committing crimes. And indeed, here they are committing crimes. This is not the only one that he's alleged to commit. There's, of course, several espionage charges being laid against Donald Trump. There are more charges to come out of Georgia. It is going to be an interesting year. But for narrative, it is imperative that we stay as focused as we were back in 2016 and as we were in 2020. In 2016, we were the only ones, remember, that were saying that Donald Trump is a front, is an asset for Russia and other states. We were the only ones who stuck with that analysis through many years. Many people didn't believe us. And when Mueller came around, a lot of people were very happy to say, hey, Sev, you were wrong about all these things. But in fact, I wasn't wrong. I was right. So was Robert Mueller in some ways, although he was limited in the way he was investigating things. And we found out consequently through the Senate Investigation Committee, the Intelligence Committee, that in fact, a lot of what we had been reporting on narrative was correct. And as we head into the 2020 elections, I was able to identify the enemies of democracy, a group of nations and other interests, networks, forces, and some of domestic people had joined forces in order to conspire to end democracy. And we profiled the enemies of democracy, the Council for National Policy, and explained the role of Leonard Leo and the Federalist Society. These are the things that we alone did in those years, in 2016 to 2020, when very few people were interested in covering all of this stuff. Then came 2021 and the Jan 6 attempts. We were among the first to warn that Donald Trump was going to do something really dangerous as we were heading towards January the 6th. We were the first, if I'm not mistaken, to call for Donald Trump to be impeached at 3 p.m. on January the 6th. And we have steadfastly investigated January the 6th throughout a year when the FBI was not interested in investigating the leadership of, the, of January the 6th and where most others had chosen to move on from January the 6th and had accepted the new version of reality that it was some sort of tourist visit to the United States Capitol. Now, of course, we know that's not true. And we, for a whole year, 53 episodes, if I'm not mistaken, of investigation into January 6th persevered. And then finally, 
the Congress announced that they were going to do their investigation. So yeah, it's true that the congressional investigation led to Jack Smith, but it is also true the narrative's investigation led up to the congressional investigation. And for that matter, being right and being truthful isn't always the best thing, as it turns out, in a media community that is controlled largely by foreign forces or by big money interests. If you're telling the truth to power, as we have been telling the truth to power, you're often isolated by those powers and often you find yourself the victims of, of reputational attacks or reputational assaults. And that is, in fact, what happened to Narrative for doing the very job that we had set ourselves out to do to tell you the truth about what was going on at this pivotal time in history. And that is where we land up today, where we are asking you for your donations to keep going. The only way we get to fund narrative is if you at home support narrative. You have to discount what many people have told you on Twitter and people you might like, but people who are dealt wrong and still operating for foreign interests and big interests and, and judge us for the merits of what we're worth and the work we have done which no one can argue has been the most accurate and forward-leaning of all the investigations into what has happened to democracy since 2016. And so we're appealing to you to please help us continue because I might've signed off this year and thought nothing of it and then tried to find some other work and gone and done something else, except for the fact that now Donald Trump is the front runner of the elections, but also for the Republican Party. That particular reality dawned on me just last week when I thought, you can try to do something else. And I was like, this guy's leading. This guy's going to win. If we don't have the kind of spotlight that a narrative has given Donald Trump since 2016, if we don't focus as narrowly and as, as critically as we did from day one of his administration, we started in December 2016, even before he took out office, and we've focused on him like a laser. We've been able to stop so much of what they were trying to do he helped get Joe Biden elected in 2021. So to see him now attempt to use all the same investigations that we did of him to turn that around and blame Joe Biden for a lot of the same stuff that we had found out to be true about him is just something I couldn't handle. So I've decided to continue to do narrative. It's probably bad for my health and bad for my bottom line, but it is necessary. If we are going to defend democracy, if we're serious about defending democracy, we need a media that is going to be free tolerated and able to pursue the stories we need to pursue. And that is not the mainstream media. The only person who's done that is Zev here on Narrative. So I'm asking you today to please think about how important democracy is to you, to your lives, your lifestyles. Think about the rights you've acquired in the last hundred years, whether you're women's rights, gay rights, race rights, whatever it is you feel you've gained as consumers or or in terms of justice and in terms of law and in terms of voting, these advancements have only happened because of American democracy. And we are losing it or we face it being completely destroyed by a win by Donald Trump. And so I'm asking you today that if you want Donald Trump to not be around as the next president of the United States, if you want to see him eliminated from the political system because of his failure to follow the rules and because of what he's done to American democracy up until now, if you really believe in those things, you'll support narrative. We're not asking for a lot of money. $10 a month is what we were looking for. And every cent makes a change, makes a difference. So go to patreon.com forward slash narrative, patreon.com forward slash narrative. You won't regret this. I am spending everything I have to keep Donald Trump out of power because I believe it is bad for democracy, bad for freedom, bad for equality, and bad for Americans, and bad for a country that has, for the most part, I think, 
done tremendous amount of good around the world in terms of equality, rights, advancements in knowledge, and a whole lot of other things. So that is my plea to you tonight. Tonight was just a test show, but as it turns out, it was a bit of a newsy day. Our season launch will be September 6th at 9 p.m. Join us then, September 6th at 9 p.m. I promise you it'll be a blockbuster show. And don't forget, subscribers to this season who come who subscribe now at Patreon at patreon.com forward slash narrative, you're going to get exclusive access to the Trump files that I have been keeping for seven years. This is a great look at into Donald Trump. We'll create a series called Trump Untold, the untold story of Donald Trump, all the secrets of how he really rose to power. And some of it will be stunning to you. We have stuff that's never been revealed before, absolutely never been revealed before. And we hope you'll join us as a subscriber at patreon.com forward slash narrative. At $10 a month, you'll get all this inside scoop. One day, you'll tell the story of autocrats, crooks, and kings who came for our freedom. A story of citizens who stood up to tyranny and won. The people prevailed and renewed an old vow to a more perfect union. And that was just the beginning. The story continues. Narrative. Where truth lives.